you know, in a perfect world, one in which I am a logistical genius. Today, it, you're laughing. You don't think I... I, I, I know. I, I'm not. Uh, we, we started this series in the book of Mark back in the first Sunday of May. If I were a logistical genius, today's sermon would have happened last week. I know. Because last week was the, the, the first Sunday of the month. The first Sunday of the month is when we do uh, participate in communion together. And today's passage is about the Last Supper. And so you're saying, Dale, you're you know, a day late, dollar short, I mean, story of my life, right? Uh, but, but we're going to do it anyway, because this is the passage that, that comes, and we might think, boy, I wish you had talked about this last week, but we're doing it this week. And, and it's a really well-known passage, right? Maybe we've, we're used to hearing the, the communion passage, the Last Supper passage, how, how Paul recorded it in the book of First Corinthians. So we're looking in, in Mark, and how did Mark record this for his, his people, for the people he was speaking to in Rome in the 60s AD? And we're going to just jump right into the passage. Uh, we're at this place in the book of Mark. Um, really, everything is uh, the, the first three years of Jesus' ministry where he's calling people to follow him. And, and the last really few months, it's it slowed down of Jesus' life on this earth. Uh, leading towards the cross. And it's this, this steady march towards the cross. And what I want us to do is we look at this pepper, and we've seen paintings of it, some of the most famous paintings in the world, like by Leonardo da Vinci of The Last Supper. Rembrandt has a painting of The Last Supper. Many artists have tried to portray it. And even though in da Vinci's portrait and, and that painting of The Last Supper, he, he painted it with the effort of saying this was uh, the disciples' reaction when they heard that one of them would betray him. That's kind of the, the subtext. And you see them talking, but the reality is, is when, when I tend to look at those portraits, those paintings, rather, of The, of the Last Supper, no matter who the artist was, there, there's a sense that you get from them. Kind of a very formal sense, almost a, a sense of serenity that they're sitting at a table in kind of a formal way chatting with each other, but they're, they're listening to Jesus, and there's this sense of comfort and serenity kind of in the picture, even though it's a, it's a challenging moment. What I want to propose to us today as we read Mark's account of the Last Supper is that that scene was anything but serene and peaceful. In fact, it was probably marked with feelings of horror and, and dread and, and questioning. And so that's the place I want to put you. That's a tough place to be put into on a Sunday morning. I want you to feel a sense of dread and horror as we read this passage. That's where we got to start, okay? On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, 
just poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. As has been our our habit working through the book of Mark, we're going to try to enter into their world a little bit. We're going to enter into what was going on, what was taking place, and then from that step back and say, what are the implications for us? How do we take this from its historical reality and its absolutely foundational place in what we believe? How do we bring that into today? All right, so, so we have this, this festival that's going on. It's what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Passover, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, Passover. And the disciples, if, if we trace their, their history through the book of Mark, remember we've seen Mark, especially of all the gospel writers, portrays the, the, the disciples in a, in a pretty negative light, right? They're always missing the point. They're never quite grasping what Jesus is about. And that's one of the reasons why we've called this entire series on Mark Great Beginnings, because the opportunity is fresh every day for them to learn, fail to get something. Jesus reteaches them and, and tries to say, let's try it again. And, and as uh, uh, Omar said earlier in our worship time, God's mercies are new every morning, right? That's something we, we hang on to. And so throughout the Peter said that, and, and they probably all agreed, but, but they really haven't grasped what that meant. And every time Jesus tries to tell them what that meant, they, they can't grasp it. Because the Messiah is a, a conquering hero. And Jesus is talking about as Messiah, he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed. But he's going to rise again. He said that several times. So you think through all of that, they've grasped something. We talked a couple weeks ago about Passover and and how uh, during Passover season, many, many people who were God's people came to Jerusalem for Passover. A a city that maybe had about 100,000 people normally might have had five times that many at Passover. That once a year celebration. And Passover, remember, was a celebration of freedom. God freeing his people from captivity in Egypt. Freeing them from oppression. And so when all these people came to Jerusalem every year, it was packed with people to celebrate Passover. And there was always a sense of anticipation that this Passover might be different. This might be the time when God does something miraculously to restore his people to to who they're supposed to be, not people who are living enslaved or in oppression. Right? And so, so they're gathering together, and so you would think the disciples had some grasp, some glimpse that Jesus is special, and maybe this Passover will be different. And so there is a, a sense of anticipation I read in this on, on the first day of the festival, right, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. They asked him, where do you want us to go and, and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Right? We're, we're going to spend Passover with Jesus, the one that we, we left everything to follow. This could be an amazing time. There was, a, I think, a sense of anticipation of something about to happen. And so we have this kind of weird story that Jesus said, go find this man that's carrying a water jug. And that would have been unusual in that culture to see a man carrying the water instead of a woman. So that, that was a, a sign to something. Like, and then some, somehow he had, I don't know, secret friendships or he just knew what was happening. But th- there was a place. 
And two of the disciples, two of the followers went there and said they prepared the Passover. And so they were all ready. And we said just a moment ago, Passover is a, a, a story and a celebration of, of God making his people free. It's a story of freedom. Right? And so free people recline at the table and they eat. When they lived in slavery, you stand. You don't eat in a, in a place of comfort and relaxation, but in almost a way of thumbing their nose at the, the political system that oppressed them. When they celebrate Passover, by gum, we're going to recline as free people. And so they're gathered around the table. They're reclining. They're enjoying the food because table fellowship in that culture was absolutely crucial. Celebrating a meal together was something that said we belong together. We saw several examples earlier in Mark where Jesus had meals with the sinners, right? He had meals with people and, and he, was, he was talked about and gossiped about by the religious leaders because he ate with the wrong people. Why? Because when you eat with somebody, life happens in deep, committed intimate ways. And so the, the Jewish calendar is filled with feasts. And, and so when they came together, this was a way to celebrate and, and look and remember and recall and relive what God has done for his people. So here they are gathered around this table in great anticipation of what's going to happen. There'll be something amazing. How are we going to know Jesus more? Maybe this is the moment everything changes. And right before it starts, while they're eating and reclining and enjoying their freedom and thumbing their nose politically at their oppressors, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Boy, what a way to put a damper on this celebration. And their first response wasn't, Oh, no, 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 we can't let that happen. What does that mean for you, Jesus? No, their first response was totally about each of them individually. It's not I, is it? And that's really the way the, the Greek is phrased there. It was a question anticipating a negative response, right? You're going to answer this in the, in the negative. It's not me, is it? Expecting Jesus to say no. And it says they went around the room saying that. And in a sense, getting this sense of, well, as soon as he said it's not me, it's like, oh, whew. But relationship, one of you who is doing that is going to betray me. And that was unheard of. You would never turn your back on and betray someone. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And if we stop, if we had read Mark just from beginning to end, we would have said, hey, I've heard this same phrasing before. This sounds kind of familiar. And if we go back to some of the stories earlier in Mark, and it was a, a part of the passage starting in like chapter 6 through chapter 8 that I referred to as the bread motif, where we saw bread as this symbol of Jesus' ministry. We had this story when he fed the 5,000, right? This miraculous story where they had been listening to Jesus. The disciples came to him and said, hey, master, these people are really tired. They've been here a long time. Let's send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Right? And they said, well, we, that would cost like eight months' wages. What are we going to do? And he says, well, well, what do you have? Well, we have five loaves and two fish. And it says he took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples who distributed it to the people, the, the 5,000 plus, probably closer to 10,000 people. And it said they all ate and were satisfied and they had 12 baskets full left over. And we, we commented during that passage that it said when Jesus took the bread, he blessed it. He, he looked up to heaven. And he would have given the traditional blessing before a meal that God's chosen people did throughout history. And it was the same prayer he would have given here. The blessing that was always given in a meal was, Blessed art thou, Lord of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. 
and the blessing that was done when you passed out food after that, that blessing was then inferred on all the people who partook. And so we, we had this symbol. What was interesting, though, is that then later that night, Jesus sent the disciples out on the boat to go across the other side of the lake. And this is the story where it says Jesus decided to walk out to them on the water. And we discovered, it says, when he was about to pass them by, which was a great Old Testament image of he was showing them he's God. And it says they were terrified. And he got into the boat and the, the, the winds calmed down. And it says they were terrified. Why? And Mark says, because they didn't understand about the bread. And we said, that's a really weird comment. And then we saw bread play out other ways. We, we saw just a little bit after that a story with a, a woman from Syrio-Phoenicia who, who was a, a Gentile woman who came to Jesus begging Jesus to, to cast an evil spirit out of her daughter. And Jesus, now in Gentile territory, had said to her, well, it's not right to take the bread that's meant for the children and cast it to the dogs. Remember, he, he almost dissed her he, 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 by calling her a dog. And she says, you're right. But even the dogs get the crumbs that the children drop. She had some sense about Jesus is the bread. Just, just being near him is enough. And then right after that, we had the story of Jesus doing another feeding miracle with feeding the 4,000 people. And this time it was with the Gentiles instead of the Jewish people. It was Gentiles. And he fed 4,000 people, almost the exact same scenario. The disciples said, these people are really hungry. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus said, what do you have? And they had seven loaves of bread. And he took it, same thing. He took it, he blessed it. Blessed art thou, Lord of the heavens, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. He he broke it. He distributed it to the disciples, and they gave it to all the people. And they were miraculously fed, and they had made baskets full left over again. And then it says the disciples got into a boat again. And and, and Jesus had been interacting with the Pharisees. He comes to the disciples and says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples started discussing, what does he mean about that? And they were saying, it's because we don't have any bread. And Mark makes this passage, they forgot to bring bread except for one they had in the boat. And we understood in that passage that Jesus was basically saying, and Mark was alluding to his people, Jesus is the bread. He causes bread to come forth. He brought it from the earth. He's basically saying, I am the bread giver. He said that over and over and over again. Now think about that picture. If you're the disciples, you've heard him say these weird things. You're confused about bread. You don't get what he's talking about. Mark is trying to tell you as his audience, Jesus is calling himself the bread. This is my body. Writers don't maintain this story because it was Jesus' last meal with them. They retain the story because he did something and said something amazing that that we have to grasp. This is my body. This is myself. This this is who I am. I, I am giving this to you. This is life a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it they, they shared a common cup well, and doesn't that story sound familiar too from earlier in the book of Mark Jesus and the disciples were walking on the street and they started arguing about who was the greatest and, and, and James and John the brothers came to him and, and said Jesus we want you to do for us anything we ask he says what do you want me to do for you and they said in your glory in the kingdom we think Something about you is different. You are the Messiah. In that day, when you are the king, you are the ruler, can we have jobs of status? Can we be in charge of stuff? And he says, you don't know what you're asking. And he looked at them and said, can you drink the cup I drink? 
And we understood again the biblical idiom of that cup is it's a, a cup of suffering, a cup of sacrifice, a cup of persecution. And they said, yep, we can drink that cup. And he says, you will drink that cup. They didn't know what that meant. But, but here we have him passing this cup, and they all drank from it. And if this was truly a Passover meal, this was probably the third or fourth cup of wine that had been shared. And they all drank from it. And after they drank from it, he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Put yourself in a first century Jewish mindset. And what's your view of blood? We, we've talked about it before. Blood is the most unclean thing you can touch. You, you, if, you, if you touch blood, you have to go through a ritual at the temple or at the synagogue to be cleansed, to be made clean again. And you would never drink it. And this wasn't literally blood, but when he said, this is my blood, this is something that would be, to their ears, just horrific and hard to even imagine. But he said, this is poured out for you in this picture of, of the sacrifice they had always known, of, of Passover time, a lamb being sacrificed, and then, and then roasted, and it was part of the feast. And Jesus said, my blood is going to be poured out as a new covenant. And then in the midst of this really challenging time, we say, this is my body. And this is my blood poured out for you. It's a new covenant. And then he makes this incredibly hopeful statement. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In other words, that, that is a guaranteed thing. It's going to happen. This, this isn't how it ends. And then it says they sung a hymn and then they went out of the Mount of Olives. And again, then Jesus says something really hard to them. He says, you're all going to fall away. This is, once again, hardly the serene picture we have of the Last Supper. They're going, you'll all fall away. And he quotes from uh, Zechariah, I I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, which isn't a statement of, I'll get to Galilee first. It's a statement of, after the the shepherd has been struck, then I will be the shepherd again. And Peter then says, no way, that is not going to happen. I will never let that happen. And and Jesus says, truly, I tell you, within a few hours, you're going to deny me. And it says, never, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And we've always associated that idea just with Peter. Peter was kind of the ultimate one who messed up. But, but, But Mark makes it known that all the other disciples said the exact same thing. All the others said the same. I will will die for you. I will never disown you. And it's basically Jesus saying, Peter, I don't need you to die for me. I do need you to share my cup and share my suffering. As I said up front, this is, a, this is a tough passage because we look at it and go, wow, that, what's taking place at this, at this time and place with these disciples in this room with Jesus? And, and right off the bat, he says, one of you, will, what do we do with this? How, how do we wrestle through this passage for our, for our own lives day to day? I already mentioned one thing, you know, on the first Sunday of every month here at SFC, we celebrate community together. We have a couple stations in each corner with little blast, glass, brass plates with the little cups in it and some, some crackers or bread. Together, we, we go back, and either as families or individuals, we partake, and then we usually come back to our seats. And so there's a traditional aspect that's good. I think those are great times in churches. We celebrate that. We've been told to do that. We, we tend to read 1 Corinthians and Paul's recounting of this story for you. 
Right? Whenever you eat it, whenever you drink it, you remember me until I come. So remember. So that's part of the issue. It's, that's our call, too, is to remember. And what we have to remember is that the idea of remembering throughout Scripture, and in particularly in the Old Testament, remembering isn't just about recalling an event. It isn't just about saying, you remember that time? Remember when we were in that room with Jesus? Oh, yeah, I remember that. It's not just remembering, like I can recall the, the things that took place. I, I recall the event. No, remembering is something that God's chosen people were called to do in all of these festivals, in all these feasts, in all these celebrations. We think about Passover, where Jesus in this time probably expressed the typical Passover story. And it's never done just in the past tense. God didn't rescue our forefathers from Egypt. He rescued us. They remember it, then put them place, themselves in that place, not so they can say, remember what God did way back then, but no, what is God doing today? We were part of that story, and we are still part of that story. The idea of remembering is, is not just to keep something in the past, but about make the event present again so that it becomes potent and powerful in our lives. So when we look at this and we remember what Jesus did, we we remember it, we're saying, this is a statement, it reminds us who we are. It it reminds us what our story is. It it reminds us who makes a claim on our lives. So when we take the bread and say, this is Jesus' body, which is given for us. When when we take the cup and say, this is his blood shed for us. We're to remember it and bring that event into today. We need to get a present reality today and every day and until Jesus comes again. Right? And so in one way, we remember a past event, which is amazing, and it was terrifying for those people there. And we remember the ongoing presence that Jesus has now, and we put our hope in his return again. So this, this little symbolic thing of bread and wine represents all of eternity, and it changes everything. So that's one thing. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus took probably the two simplest things to the table, the bread and the wine. It doesn't talk about the other things of Passover. Passover traditionally included a roasted lamb, right? And so you imagine all these hundreds of thousand people in Jerusalem coming for Passover, what the smell would have been like. In some ways, I'm disappointed that Jesus didn't take the lamb. It says, whenever you eat this, Imagine Sunday mornings, the first Sunday of every month. We're having roast lamb. We got a fire out here. It's the day we celebrate communion. I'm going to go have some roast lamb. No, he, he took bread. Why? Because bread is the most common thing we have at every meal. And it's not just about those times when we set it apart and we get out the little brass plates and the little cups. It's like, see this? This is bread. This, this is my body, which is for you. My life is for you. Whenever you eat a piece of bread, remember, my body is for you. That's an amazing reminder because we have bread all the time. We eat bread daily. We have sandwiches. When you put this piece of toast in the toaster, can you remember when it pops and say, this is bread? I remember what Jesus did for me. Wow, what a reminder. 
And he said he did the same with the cup because, because wine was prevalent. That was the beverage of choice at meals. Why? Because you could trust what it was like. It was also seen, wine was seen as a gift from God. Psalm says he gave wine to gladden the heart we have. That's how this story stays alive in our lives. Every time you see a piece of bread, every time you have a glass of wine, remember me. Now, the hard thing about this passage for me is when we get into the and denying. Because in reality, the way Mark wrote this, the, the betrayal piece wasn't just a detail of the story. You're like, oh yeah, there was this thing. That, no, no, it was pretty central to this story. One of you will betray me. And instantly the moment became about me. Am I the one? No, no, it's not me, is it? Jesus says, you're all going to fall away, and Peter, and they all said, no, never, I would die for you. And somehow, don't we miss the disconnect? They, they didn't know if they're the one who betrays or not, but they know they could die for him. Somewhere in this is a challenge to each of us. And when we look at Paul's call to us in, in his uh, version of, of the Last Supper, I mean, he says we each have to examine ourselves. Uh, part of that is related to the relationships we have with each other because they had, they had destroyed the notion of community in the church in Corinth. They, they would come together to celebrate the Lord's table and, and, and some of them would, would eat their fill and some would go hungry because they were making these criteria of people and status. And, and they were using it to divide people instead of bringing people together. So what should be the central notion of who we are in Christ, they were using to restrict and Jesus says, I, and Paul said, I, I have nothing good to say about that. Instead, you need to practice this. You should examine yourself. Look at your relationships. Look at who you are before God. And if we look at Mark's call to say, how do we examine ourselves? We have to ask ourselves, how have I betrayed Jesus today? In history, there was one betrayer, and that was Judas, but, but all the others fell away, all the ones who were close. And if we sit here and say, I can take communion, I can celebrate the Lord's Supper, I can come to the Lord's table once a month, and I am so glad I'm not like then, as opposed to I examine my life and say, one of these 12 betrayed him, these ones who were so close, and they all fell away, why would I think I'm stronger than they are? And so we examine ourselves and say, how, how have I betrayed Jesus in a little way or a big way? And how do I seek his forgiveness? How, how have I denied him? How have I turned my back on him? And the glorious flip side of that in scripture is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Life and forgiveness and grace and love that comes from Jesus overcomes all those times of saying, here's how I betrayed Jesus this week. Jesus, I want you to confess those things for me. Why? Because, because I will forgive. I, I always forgive. Come before me. What, what a glorious picture. And so communion, this, this meal for all time, celebrates both looking within and identifying being honest with how, how we deny Jesus on a daily day, on a day to basis. How, how do we not listen to who he is and, and respond and, and glory in who he is? And then we bask in his forgiveness. We're reminded of that every time we take bread and every time we take the cup. That's, that's the call that Jesus gives us. That's, that's the way Mark tells the story. This was such a pivotal moment 
who said before, the, the thing isn't to remember what was amazing what happened back then, but we're supposed to bring that reality into the present. This reminds us who we are. We are the ones Jesus died for. It reminds us who, who places a claim in our lives. It, it, it says, what is our story? And we remember it every day in the simple things of bread and wine. Constant reminders that, that brings that, that power for living into today. This is an amazing story. It, it's, a, it's a challenging story. I would rather sit around the table in serenity and listen to the wisdom of Jesus and say, I'm not the one who betrayed you, am I? But I have. I've betrayed Jesus. I've denied him in my life. And in the middle of it, he offers grace and forgiveness that goes on. And he paints this glorious picture that someday he will drink again of the fruit when he returns in God's kingdom. When, when it all is said and done and Jesus returns, that's a glory. My blood was poured out for you. Remember that my forgiveness goes on and on and my mercies are new every day. It's communion. It's the meal for all time. I said at the beginning that in some ways I wished that uh, this sermon had happened last week. I thought I'm glad it didn't. Because today when you go home for lunch or you go out to eat and somewhere you'll probably have a piece of bread, let that be Communion. Let that be the reminder, not, not because we got out the brass plates today, but because you had a piece of bread and that reminded you of who Jesus is. This is his body. This is his blood. What a glorious gift. What an amazing meal.